PulpMX Network Production. This is the Rocky Mountain ATV MC Kiefer Tested Podcast. The podcast you come to for the straight insight on all things moto-centric. Hard parts, bikes, gear, suspension, motor mods, and more. It's Kiefer Tested. Here he is, Chris Kiefer. Hey guys and gals, we are back from vacation. Holy crap. Woo! I'm all hyped up because I got some energy now. I unplugged for about 10 days, but we are back. Stop emailing me and yelling at me for taking a vacation. Gosh, dang it. All caps, that's yelling. You're, if you're typing in all caps, you're yelling. This is the Rocky Mountain ATVMC.com Kiefer Tested Podcast presented by Fly Racing and Racetech. Rocky Mountain ATVMC is the trusted online source for parts, accessories, gear for dirt bikes, side-by-sides, dual sport bikes, ATVs, and street bikes. Lowest prices and unparalleled customer service. Free three-day shipping over 75 bucks. It's so easy to see why RockyMountainATVMC.com is the premier shopping destination for all of us out there. Look, if you are trying to get some you know, parts, accessories, whatever it is from Rocky Mountain, and it's a holiday and you have a two-day shipping, chances are you will probably get it in three days. Just want to throw that out there for you guys. So they will do their best to get you guys the products you ordered in a timely manner. I know those dudes. They're good people. So go check them out, RockyMountainATVMC.com. Thank you. Thank you to the guys over at Fly Racing. 2020 line of gear is coming in two weeks. I'm going to Idaho. I can't wait. You guys know me. I start to chub up a little bit when I think about gear, and it is gear season. But go check out FlyRacing.com and check out the 19 gear. Even if you don't want gear, they got hard parts, casual wear, BMX, snow, whatever. Quads, you quad guys, I know you got some of you out there. Go to FlyRacing.com. And of course, Racetech, Racetech.com. New bike season, that's what we're talking about here on this podcast today. If you feel like your stock suspension needs some love, go to Racetech.com. Tell them Kiefer sent you. Or... Email me. I will get you someone you can talk to and maybe get you a discount on the stuff that you want to do. And you can get your bump sticks improved, get some comfort, get some performance. You can head over at racetech.com right now and check everything out they have to offer. Not even just suspension people. They've got engine modifications. they got all kinds of stuff over there. Vintage bikes, whatever that you got. Suspension, engine needs, Racetech will handle it. Last but certainly not least, Pro Taper. Do yourself a favor. Get yourself a set of Pro Taper Evo or Fusion Bars. Those are my go-tos when I get on a test bike. Uh, most of the time, I will swap. I would say I would say actually seventy-five percent of the time, I will swap my bars over to Pro Taper, and the other twenty-five percent is simply because I got to give the bike back in a timely manner. So I just leave the stock bars on there. But if I plan on keeping the bike a little bit. You can guarantee Pro Taper products will be on that bike. So check them out, protaper.com. If you have any questions about these dudes, hit me up, chris at keyforinktesting.com. I'm happy to sit down and go over whatever it is that you need to know about. That's what we do here. Special attention. I was gone at this 2020 Kawasaki KX250 intro 
for two days, and I got 83 emails. So there you go. And I did about 69 of those last night. Ha ha! I get that. Boom! See what happens when I go on vacation? I'm, I'm lit up. I'm re-motivated. I'm reborn. That's right. So hey, welcome into 2020, people. It's in full swing. You guys listened to the Husqvarna thing I did a couple weeks ago. Well, now, Team Green time. I told some people the other day, uh, someone asked me, hey, Kiefer, what are you most excited to ride in 2020? And there was two bikes that I had marked down on my calendar here that I was really excited to ride. One of those was the 2020 KX250. Yes, it still has a kickstart. Everyone just relax. We're going to talk about that a little bit as well. But hey, they did a lot of engine changes. And when we talk about engines in 250 class, this gets me excited because, let's face it, a fast 250 is a fun 250. You have a slow 250F, it's no fun to ride. It's just like having a piece of crap two-stroke. That's a whole other podcast, but we're not going to get into that right now. But they had us out at Castillo Ranch, the legendary Castillo Ranch. No, we didn't see Godbod. We didn't see Davey. But we saw his father. Jim Castillo was out there ripping around for an older guy. Dude, I know where Davey got his uh, jeans from. Still in good shape. Uh, These are things that I noticed. I know it sounds weird, but uh, Jim's a good dude. He had us out. Kawasaki got together. And, of course... When you pull into that place, you start singing face-to-face. Oh, you don't know what you would give a... Nah. So we had a pack of people in the truck singing face-to-face on the way in. Look to the left. When you go in, you see the Supercross track. You go to the right. You see some cows. You see the pastures. Then you go into this valley, and there it is, the Castillo Ranch Motocross Facility. So many legends of our sport have been through that dirt road into that place. It's, it's cool. Uh, the track itself is not a huge track, but just the whole aura of that place, man, it, it gets you going. I got goosebumps. My wife, Heather, she went with me, and she's like, what is wrong with you? And I go, you wouldn't understand. You're, you just wouldn't understand. If you're a Moto fan, you get it. You know what it's about. If you haven't checked out Castillo Ranch, go check them out. They're on uh, social media right now. They are open privately a couple days a week. So uh, I'm not going to give out too many details, but if you guys are in the California area, this is kind of a must place go and stop, you know, so uh, go check them out. So anyway, I know there's a lot of media outlets that already have their stuff up, but I was going to try to go over over every nook and cranny of this thing, okay? Um, there's some changes that you guys can go see all of those changes over on keferinktesting.com website. You click on news, and I will give you a list of everything that Kawasaki did change. So um, you can check out the article that is up on Steve Mathis's website, pulpmx.com. I go over 10 things with you guys, some bullet points, key things on the track that I felt. But this podcast is going to encompass all of that a little bit more, okay, of the the nooks and crannies that weren't available in that article. Some things that I wanted to separate myself with uh, before I get in this. I really want to talk to you guys. So what media outlet do you guys go to? It's tough, right? You know, there's all different forms of of communication slash information out there. You can go to, to Don's website. You can go to MXA. You can go to Dirt Bike. There's all kinds of us out here. Michael Lindsay has a thing now. 
I try to always look for some ways to do something different. So for this test, I wanted to bring three riders out. So I brought myself, uh, Dominic Chimino, and Michael Allen. I'm 170 pounds, you know, vet A rider. Dominic is 150 pounds, light guy, which is key for a 250 test. And he's more of a, a vet A type of rider as well. Good, you know, if he was going to go race some young kids, he probably would race B class. And then you got Michael Allen's more of an off-road guy, but loves to moto. And he's around 190 pounds, so a bigger guy. So I wanted to try to get all different types of riders. So if you're not my weight, if you're Dom's weight, you're a lighter guy, you can relate to Dom. And I'm going to try to encompass all of that here on this podcast today. So three different riders. We had tons of notes. We always go out with our basically what I call a hit list slash checklist, which is three pages of categories of each bike. And we have a numeral system. Of course, for those of you that listen to this podcast all the time, you guys know about that. If you guys don't know about that, Go back to the archives and listen on, um, I think it's episode four or seven. I don't know which one it is, but it's how to test episode. Very good, very informative. Go back and listen to it. Even if you already did listen to it once, go back again. It might refresh your memory and kind of help you uh, direct yourself and your bike into a better, um, safer, comfortable way of riding. So go check it out. So Started off, I'll just give you guys some background. I don't know if you guys even get some of this stuff from the other media outlets, but look, most manufacturers kind of cater to us media guys. Hey, we'll have some dinner. We'll go over the bike. Kawasaki went to a, a winery up in Bealton. Very pretty, very cool, um, overlooking a lake. Uh, we talked about the bike. What I do like about Kawasaki, and, and actually most manufacturers, is they'll bring Japanese engineers out to talk about the reasons why they made changes, um, what their background is, and just kind of give us an overview of what their purpose is of trying to make this bike a better machine. I like that. I come from an OEM manufacturer testing background. I like to hear from the Japanese engineers because, look, when you guys purchase a motorcycle, it's a collaboration of North America and Japan, but look, it's basically Japan's brainchild is that motorcycle. They come up with a direction. They get with uh, what they call back their KHI, which is Kawasaki Heavy Industries, and they come up with a direction that they feel that they need. And the Japanese engineer Seiji, Seiji or Seiji, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, he said, look, we needed more mid to top end pull, so they focused in on that for 2020. And their focus wasn't trying to do a bunch of things all at once. And I can kind of understand that um, coming from an OEM manufacturer background. Look, it costs a lot of money to revamp a bike to completely come out with a brand new bike. So if you can make a 250 fast, you're going to have a successful 250, plain and simple. So they, they dedicated most of their money slash time, their R&D into the engine. There's several changes. Again, you can go to keyfringtesting.com and look at those. But basically, um, they left the kickstart on, and I get both sides of this, okay? While I was out there kicking the bike, coming back for changes, I was like, yeah, it's kind of a pain in the ass to kick. But it literally, you know, if you're able to, if your hips are good, your legs are good, your feet are good, you can kickstart a bike, it shouldn't be an issue. 
Now, I get some of these guys that email and say, Kiefer, yeah, but I have a bad hip, my legs, I'm old. I understand that. Look, and that will have to be your choice in which direction you want to go. If an electric start isn't a big deal to you, look, this is a viable option for you guys to purchase because what we're going about to get into here, the engine is improved and it's a good engine. So um, if you're healthy enough to be able to kickstart a bike, don't let the electric start issue bother you for to maybe hopefully purchase this motorcycle. If I was going to interested, if I was interested to buy a 250, I'm healthy enough to kickstart my bike. To me, having an electric start or not doesn't sway my my opinion on what what I'm going to purchase. It honestly doesn't. Now, I understand you guys listen to this. Hey, I'm not uh, medically able to kickstart my bike, which is hard for me to grasp if you're riding a dirt bike. But nonetheless, there are some of you out there that have that happen to you. Then you, uh, simply you're going to have to go a different direction. Look at you want an electric start? Turn the podcast off. Go somewhere else. Don't bitch at me because uh, we're talking about a bike because I like something and it doesn't have electric start. Some of you guys are really fixed on some things. And I, and I lump you in between electric starter guys and two-stroke guys. You guys are, I feel like, are all in, the, all in the same category. So just relax. If you need electric start, you can just push that little stop button and just continue on with your life. But just wanted to throw that out there for you guys. So 2021, I feel like, will be some changes with that. I didn't get confirmation from Kawasaki that, that what, uh, that's what they're going to do. But I know that eventually they're going to have it. Obviously, the 450 has it. It's just a matter of time for the 250. But for this year, they didn't do it. So we got finished with our introduction and uh, went back to the hotel and basically started our day on Wednesday. Met the guys out there at Castillo Ranch. Kawasaki has everything laid out for us. Um, each bike is dedicated to each media testing department. And I also wanted to touch on this before we get into it, too, because I know some of you guys out there wonder how everything works. Just because a manufacturer caters to us media, you know, gets us dinner, uh, may, we may have like a grab bag or a, a backpack of, with some shirts and hats and things. It's not something that, hey, I'm going to say this bike is the best bike ever. It's the best engine, the best suspension. That's not how, it, that's not how I work, at least. It's nice to get the stuff, and we're going to say thank you, like I do on my social media, but I'm not going to sit there and just completely blow Kawasaki because they gave me some free swag. That's not how it works. And honestly, I do not really think any media outlet out there sucks Kawasaki's dick, so to speak. You know, this is Kiefering testing. We're going to talk about that stuff. That I don't think they really do that. So, um... It's just I, I hear a lot of that as well, and I think, oh, they gave them something, so they're going to say they're the best. That's not real life. Honestly, don't think that happens, and it definitely doesn't happen here over at this outlet. So that's it. That's my spiel for you guys. So, All right, so let's, get, let's just dive into it, okay? I got there. A few things that I was concerned about. Look, on paper, you could just say you could, you could have done nothing else to this bike. You could have just put the KYB suspension on this bike, and I would have been like, boom, better bike. Plain and simple. Why? That SFF Showa fork sucks balls. It sucks. I've worked with it. I've tried doing stuff, and it does get better, but it just simply doesn't work for comfort. It's tough. Having a dual spring fork, all these manufacturers are going back to, thank you. Thank you, Kawasaki, for putting... 
KYB suspension on your bike. You've already improved your bike. I haven't got on it yet. I'm getting dressed. You've improved your bike. I don't care. You don't have to, you don't have to sway me. You, that's, it's better. Boom. Done. So went out, went out on the, got on it, did some laps. Again, Dominic, Michael, and I all traded off. And how we did this, and this is what we do in when I test for manufacturing testing, is you might have three separate riders. But what the manufacturer does when we go out and test, we set a sag, a base setting sag for the middle weighted rider, which was me this time. I'm 170 pounds. We set the sag for me, originally starting at 105 millimeters of sag. Dominic, 150. Michael, 190. We have to try to make this bike work for a, a wide range of riders. That's how we do it in the OEM manufacturer testing process. So I wanted to bring some of that to the media testing process. So that is how we did our testing at Castillo Ranch on this day. Could have we set the sag for Dominic? Of course. But can Dominic get happy with a sag setting that is closer to me versus him? This is what we do. You need a wide box, right? And this is how you figure out if this bike has a wide box. So that's how we started. Uh, Dominic went out first, and we, each, we, we ended up each doing three to four laps each to try each test that we did. So if we changed the clicker setting, we'd go out four laps, try it. If it was better, we continued on. If it was worse, we went back. That's basically how we did this whole day. So starting right off to it, engine is improved the bottom end from the 2019, if you guys are wondering, hasn't changed much. It still has a good RPM throttle response down low. But what you're getting now is increased mid-range, um, I want to say recovery, RPM response and recovery. But you're also getting more meat in that mid-range power. So rolling out of a corner in second gear, you're getting increased mid-range compared to the 19. Oh, let me touch on this too real quick. KHI Kawasaki didn't want us to ride the 2019 and 20 back-to-back. I was kind of pissed off at first because I brought the 19 to ride back-to-back -back for because for you guys out there, that's what you want to know, right? And that's what I want to know. Is it better? Is it worse? Where is it better? Where is it worse? They didn't want us to do that because if I messed with my test bike, it wasn't an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. So I kind of toned it down a little bit. I, I kind of understood where they're coming from because they, for all they knew, I could have did something to the suspension and really screwed up this whole test. So we are just testing the 2020, but I rode R19 before I came out there, so I'm really familiar with the bike. So that's how I can kind of compare it to you guys right now. And I'll be riding this bike more next week to kind of give you guys some more information over on keyforingtesting.com. So... Again, mid-range pull is increased. Top end is also increased. Overrev, the bike actually has increased overrev. Where you're getting, where you're going to notice all of this, right? Let's say you're coming out of a corner and you're pulling down um, second gear and you're starting to accelerate and you go to shift the third gear. The bike has a better surge, what I call a surge between second and third gears, and it increases that power in that area. So as soon as you shift to third, it doesn't fall off as bad as the 19 did. It keeps pulling. And if you guys want to be lazy and want to make your life a little easier, this 2020 is a little bit better in that area as well. You can extend second gear longer, let that thing roll on longer, and shift later. Um, third gear, 
I do want to mention the gap in the transmission between second and third gear. It's quite far, and I'm going to mess with some gearing to try to help that, but if I shifted too early, it, it kind of fell off a little bit. Like, I feel like the gap, the transmission spacing is a little long, but third to fourth gear is very close. So sometimes, and I've done this with the Honda CRF250R, is I will come off of a jump. If, I, if it, the jump is right out of a corner, I will click up two times the fourth. So second, third, fourth. I'll just skip third because fourth pulls so much better and, and, and doesn't load the suspension as much. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's something different and not you're usually not used to doing that. You're usually not used to shifting up twice, but this bike will pull it. I'm going to try some different gearing to try to get third gear a little bit more usable, but I wrote about this on, on the article in an article over at uh, Pulp MX is I just want a little bit more usage out of my third gear because third gear is in a very important gear for every single motorcycle out there because I feel like if you can get a third gear to work and have added recovery like this KX250 does now, it's a magical it's a magical gear. You can be lazy, you can go fast, you can have more fun, uh, it's less work to shift. So basically, um, you're getting increased mid-range to top in over F power, but I need a little bit better gearing spacing with this KX250. I did ask, they did not change the, gear, uh, the transmission ratios in this, in this uh, bike, but what happens is when you change everything that they did internally with the engine, the throttle body, and all these changes that they did make up, it does change the spacing somewhat as you're riding. So you don't have to have a gear ratio change to feel something different inside of the transmission. So I will go, go to work with this next week and try to figure it out. I got some sprockets on order to see if we can help third gear along. 1350 is the gearing, but nonetheless, uh, the engine is improved. Bottom end still, ha I would say out of all the 250s, and this is just me kind of like stabbing in the dark right now because I didn't ride all these back to back. Yamaha still has the best torque in class as of right now. I haven't ridden the 2020, but Kawasaki is a second. I think it has better low end than the KTM and the Husqvarna. Uh, of course, better than the Honda CRF250R, and of course, better than the Suzuki RMZ250. So it is in the hunt, in the torque. It is a fun, snappy power, and you have even more of that in the mid-range. And I've asked Dominic and Michael about this, and they think, and Michael has the YZ250F, so he is the guy to, to ask. And I did, and I said, what do you think about the mid-range? And he's like, honestly, I think the Kawasaki has better mid-range pull and a longer pull at that than the YZ250F. He thinks the only thing the YZ250F has over this KX250 is simply torque. So I asked him, hey, what about free revving feel? Same thing. I said, man, I really like how the engine braking is down on this 2020, and I don't get as much pitching sensation off throttle. He concurred with me and said, hey, I think this thing has less engine braking than the YZ250F, and it doesn't upset the chassis when I come into corners as much. So... That is an improvement as well on the 2020. A free revving engine on a four-stroke is very, very attractive. If you're a male, listen to this, and you see a hot chick walking down uh, somewhere in the mall, and you go to look at her, that is what free engine revving is like in the motorcycle world. A hot chick walking down the mall. Because if you have a free, <laughs> a free revving engine with a, with a four-stroke, it's lighter, it's snappier, 
It makes the bike feel more playful on the track, and you have less pitching in the corners, which remains the it keeps the chassis flat. And that's what you, that that is what we all want as dirt bike guys. I'm getting all worked up here because I'm thinking about it, and I think I go back to my CRF 450R and when I was racing Hangtown and Paula, that thing didn't have engine braking. It was so fun to ride. So that's kind of where KX, the Kawasaki guys were going with this, and they just kind of gave us a freer revving 250 without all that engine braking. So kudos to Travis Smith and Sean Borkenhagen. They're the R&D guys over at Kawasaki. I know they still probably wanted less engine braking than what they got, but what they came up with with this 2020 is a better machine, period. Better in the engine department. We're going to go into suspension, of course. We already know that's better. But, man, it... it it's basically a more fun KX250. I get this question, and I know I'm gonna, I don't want to answer it because it, it's, I'm kind of jumping the gun, but do I think it's going to win shootouts? I'm going to be straight up with you guys. I don't think it will simply because it doesn't have the torque like the Yamaha does. Will it be closer to the Yamaha? Absolutely, because you have that KTM Husky K- Yamaha lump, right? I think now that the engine is better, we are looking more towards that area versus having the Kawasaki a fourth-place machine. So kudos to the guys over the R&D department for making a better KX250 engine. Good job, KHI. Um, for a guy that's familiar with the manufacturer testing process, you guys did a good job in the engine, so congratulations. Suspension, KYB. Kaipo Chung was out there. Holy shit. If you guys don't know Kaipo, he is the KYB suspension guy for Tomac. He's a good dude, one of my good friends. He's been a high desert rat for a long time. He was out there helping all the media, taking all these notes. But uh, good job. Overall, KYB suspension is on the soft side for me. Dominic thought it was pretty good. He's 150 pounds. I'm 170. Again, front-end steering guy. Michael also thought it was a little soft, so we did some work. This is what we tried to do, and I'll take you by the step-by-step process of what we did. We rode it stock. We're like, okay, we all agreed that it was somewhat soft on desail, and it squatted too much in the rear. So Kaipo came over and bumped our sag up from 105 to 103 millimeters of sag. That helped the balance of the bike. It wasn't so squatty out of corners. And it didn't move side to side under acceleration. I approve. I like that change. All of us did. We're like, that's a better direction. But we still needed a little bit more holdup in the rear on really heavy loads, G-outs, jump faces. So we decided to go an eighth. That's right. One eighth turn in on the high speed. It doesn't take much, fellas. It doesn't take much at all. We tried to go past that and go more. It made the bike kick on desail and just gave it too, of, too much of a firm feeling off throttle. So we went back. We stayed with one-eighth of high speed on the shock, increased, so stiffer, and then did slowed the rebound down one. That's all we did for me. I like that. Dominic wanted to open up, you know, soften the low speed after we did the high speed, so we backed it off to... He agreed that one was enough. So basically, Dominic was happy with my sag, 103 millimeters, the high speed in an eighth of a turn, and the low speed out one. He was very pleased with that. It gave the bike a better balance feeling. State remained flat in the corners. 
And of course, the fork we tried to mess with. Honestly, we left the fork stock. We tried to go um, stiffer on the low speed, of course, fork on the compression. And it just made the bike itself a little bit too firm up front and gave it more of a rigid feeling, which we all didn't like. So we went back. And uh, the action of the KYB suspension on the Cowie is similar to the YZ250F in that it moves a lot in the stroke. You will notice that when you get this bike, it moves a lot in the stroke. But what it does do good, it, it has good holdup as far as in-stroke feel. You never get really a bottoming sensation, a heavy metal, metal clank. There is a kid out there in, a, in another media outlet that's heavy, races pro, and I just see him sending it over this jump to flat. And you could tell that the, the fork held up really good. It, yeah, it, it bottomed, but it wasn't like a bam. It wasn't like a harsh feeling. And that's what I didn't get out there on the track. I didn't get a harsh feeling even when I OJ'd some shit. And that happened a couple times. So good, good job, Cowie. Good job, KYB. Balanced suspension. A little soft. For you heavier guys, you may or may not want to uh, get a revalve or maybe get some heavier springs. But nonetheless, a comfortable setting. I do not think this bike is uh, you know, tailor-made for a 200-pound dude. But this bike is built for an aggressive rider, I feel like. It's more race-oriented than ever. Just the way the power has increased in certain areas, the way the suspension is. There's never been a time besides in 2020 that, you know, I feel like, hey, Kawasaki's trying to tailor-make this bike to be a race bike. And I know that they mentioned this in the presentation, like, hey, we're looking to get this thing, I don't want to use the word race-ready, but get it for the guys that really are serious about improving on the results and going to that next level. So um, I feel that when I ride this bike. Chassis. They didn't make too many changes to the chassis. They had some lower uh, engine mount bolt differences. You can look that up on my website. But basically going to a studded bolt, and uh, you guys think, oh, whatever, that sounds like bullshit, not very much change. But, dude, it makes a big difference, okay? And what it does is lean in into the corners. That I always talk about this in my, in my podcast. The tip-in or lean-in is very important. It makes the bike feel light. It gets you into the rut, change of directions. All of that is important. 250s are already light, right, compared to a 450, but you can have a lazy feeling 250. This small change that Kawasaki made helped tip in, lean in in corners, and just made it easier to get in the inside line. I will say the bike does feel a little bit stand-up-ish through mid-corner, which I feel like wasn't this change, but was in the rider triangle, so to speak. Um, but before I get to that, let me finish off this chassis portion. Straight line stability, always good on Kawasaki's. Nothing's changed there. Bump absorption, excellent on this frame. Same thing with the 450. They are the leader in bump absorption feel um, on the track. Kawasaki's frames have been excellent over the years, and this goes to show it on the 250 that it's still, you, the slap-down landings, you get a nice feel, supple feel. The first bump impact, you get a nice supple feel. It never really does anything crazy when you're trying to go fast down a straightaway. It doesn't swap, doesn't deflect, doesn't give you head shake. You get a nice planted feel with the Kawasaki. So they didn't do many changes to the frame, but the, the lower engine mounts did change, and it helped tip in in the corners just a small amount. Is it the best cornering machine out there? No. 
I think that goes to the CRF 250R and then KTM and Husqvarna, Yamaha. I think it's in that before Yamaha category. I think it's in their third, fourth-ish. But it's a neutral feeling turning bike. I don't think it's a rear-end steering bike. Uh, I think that ergonomically, we could help that situation to make it corner better. It's commercial time. Please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. Do not fast forward. There's some discount codes. Save yourself some money. Save yourself some fights at home from the wife. Listen to these. Thanks to the guys over at 6D Helmets. That's right. They are on board with the KieferInkTesting.com. Kiefer Tested Podcast. We thank them for joining us. You have a street bike, a dirt bike, or do you pedal? You have a mountain bike. Head over to 6DHelmets.com. Check out the full line of helmets they offer. I'm sure they have a helmet for you. Hey, I get questions all the time. Kiefer, what helmet would you choose if you could pick one to buy? If you're going to spend your own money, Kiefer, where are you going? While there are a lot of helmets that are safe out there, okay, I do feel the safest in a 6D helmet. I've had many crashes in my ATR1. I've had a couple in my ATR2, and it has done its job. It's advanced ODS technology. It's race-proven. I'm telling you guys. And it's light. The new ATR2, it comes in at 1,480 grams. It's fully rebuildable. Very cool colorways. I trust the guys over at 6D Helmets. Maybe you guys should too. Hit me up over at chris at keferinktesting.com. Maybe get a special discount code if you want to get a 6D. So please, guys, go check them out. 6D Helmets. Hit me up. Tell me how you like yours. And if you don't have one, maybe go get one. Thanks, 6D. Have you guys checked out bloodlubricants.com? If you haven't, bludlubricants.com. Go check them out. Three new series of oils, Blood Power Sport Series, the Blood Racing Pro Series, and the Blood Racing Pro Elite Series. I have Michael Allen here with me. We've been doing two different types of oils in our test bike. Mike has been doing the Blood Power Sport Series. Everything going good there? Everything's going good. I use it in all our test bikes, the ones that I prep and maintain. And uh, it runs a little cooler than production oils. And uh, I know you've done some testing with that. Yeah, so basically before Jeff and the guys came on board, I had to check the legitimacy of this stuff because um, I didn't want no crap involved in keyframe testing. Um, honestly, tried it. Was very surprised about the oil did some temperature readings it was a little over 30 degrees cooler in my yz450f compared to some other oils i've been running so the stuff is good they sponsor over 250 racers from enduro enduro cross hair scrambles utvs supercross now they got some supercross guys so go check them out bloodlubricants.com use the discount code kefer and get some percentage off your oils they'll ship them to you probably get a hat or two you know, Jeff's a good dude. Go check him out, bloodlubricants.com. The one thing that bums me out about racing moto is waiting around all day just to do two or four motos. I don't want to be sitting at the track all day and have three hours in between my motos. Well, you know what? Old Timers Association has been around a long time, and the guys from Oregon Old Timers have come on board with this podcast and want me to talk to you about their series. Very cool series. I've raced them before. They have 20-minute motos, long motos. Usually, you're done by 3 o'clock. You're in and out. You get to race, go home, finish your chores, spend time with your family, go do stuff with your wife, whatever it is. It's a fun, family-filled environment there. They have races all over. It's not just in Oregon. They have races in California, Glen Helen, Montana, Richland, Washington. They go to Hangtown. 
They go to Washington again in Washougal, which is very cool. And, of course, they go to British Columbia, Boise, Idaho, even Edmonton, Canada, and Fernley, Nevada. You can check out the series at OregonOldTimers.com, and you will even see me at a couple rounds this year. So check them out. ScreenPrintingDone.com You guys looking to make up some shirts, hoodies, or hats with a logo on it? Or maybe you want a logo made up for your business, and you want to transfer that over to some t-shirts? Go to ScreenPrintingDone.com. Neil over there is a writer. He owns the company. He is a rad human being, and he is here to hook you guys up. Order 12 shirts and get 10 for free. They have all different kinds of shirts, hoodies, hats, different fabrics, all different kinds of stuff. Go hit them up, ScreenPrintingDone.com. Tell them Kiefer sent you and get 10 free shirts. Be sure to say Kiefer. That's right, Kiefer and ScreenPrintingDone.com. Go check them out. Thanks, Neil. Hey, Heather. Hey, Chris. Did you know that every two-stroke KTM and Husqvarna come with a Vertex piston in the engine from the factory? No, I did not. 65 years ago, Vertex piston was founded in a small technical workshop in northern Italy. Today, because of the renowned reputation for exceptional quality, Vertex is an OEM supplier to KTM, Husqvarna, and more exotic brands like Beta, Gas Gas, and TM. No matter which brand of bike you ride with, when it's time to go ride or time to rebuild your top end, Vertex Pistons will have your engine performing better than new. To see their full range of two-stroke and four-stroke pistons in replica, high-compression, or GP-style configurations, visit them at VertexPistons.com or stop in your local dealer and ask for a Vertex Piston Kit today. And if you guys want a discount code, hit me up, Chris, at KieferInkTesting.com, and I've got one for you. Save some money. VertexPistons.com Congratulations, you made it through. Hell yes. Back to the show. So I had a problem with 971 rental bars. Look, you guys want me to nitpick this shit? I do. 971 is a 7 8 bar. I have no problem with 7 8 bars. You guys know this. I like a 7 8 bar. Suck it, Paul Parabinos. I don't care. I like a 7 8 bar. It flexes a lot. It, it's comfortable. For, this, for, for those of us getting old, it, it helps us relax on the track. And I just feel like the 971 Ben is an older Ben. It's tall. It's super high feeling. They had those on the CRF um, line of motorcycles, and I didn't like them on that bike. So you have a soft seat foam in the middle on this Kawasaki. I feel like they could have firmed their foam up a little bit more, and this would have helped this situation. But I feel like I'm sitting in the bike. I don't feel like I'm sitting on top of the bike. The bar feels high to me. I'm six foot tall, and the bar feels tall. Uh, I feel like I'm in the pocket of a bike. Even though you look at the Kawasaki and it looks flat, and it looks very like just flat and seamless to the gas tank, but when I sit, and, and I'm all dick and ribs, I don't have a lot of meat on me, my ass sinks into that foam. Michael Allen had the same problem. Dominic, not so much. He didn't really complain about that much, but he did feel like the bar was too tall for him. He's 5'8", right? So he's a short little hobbit-looking dude. And he thought it was too tall. So we rolled the bar back. That helped a little bit. But overall, I think if they went to a 983 Renthal bend, so for those of you guys listening, look at that bend. Uh, it's a lower bend. It'll get that uh, center of gravity down a little bit lower. So when you're riding it, you can corner it better. And that was most of my problem for me, cornering mid-corner to the exit, 
is that I felt like my bar was too, t- too tall and it gave me a vague front-end feel. I didn't like that feeling. I like to be a little bit lower in the bar when I corner, hence the reason why I go to a Pro Taper SX race band because that's a lower height bar. Seems to work for almost all of the new bikes out there today, which I love that bar a lot. And the 971 band is just simply too tall for me in the corners. When I stand up, it feels okay. Uh, if I tried to stand up around corners, it, it worked okay. But when I sat down, I want to start in my corner. I want to start my corner early. It just hurt me a little bit mid to exit. So, for those of you guys out there listening and going to get this bike, when you sit on it and you guys feel that, go. And if you want to stick with the seven eighths bar, go to a to a, a lower bar that helps that situation. And I feel like it'll corner better for you. Um, you know the the seat peg to handlebar like triangle is not bad like I was going to try going forward on the mounts but all of us agree that I don't think that's the problem it's just the height of the bar so I left that triangle alone but it is there for you guys to think about you guys want to move that Kawasaki offers you guys a foot peg um, difference you guys can lower the peg you guys can move the bar forward so there are options for all different types of riders I think that's cool every time you have a little bit of option with a motorcycle I like. I feel like sometimes some manufacturers go too ape shit with options, and it just confuses the consumer. But this is a nice option for you guys out there, for you taller guys, shorter guys. You can kind of customize your rider triangle, and I think that's very cool. Uh, a couple things I also want to notice that's different than 2020. Exhaust still sounds loud and atrocious. Still not a fan of that. Uh, I did a... a a video for Kawasaki as I was leaving, and they're like, hey, you want to talk about the exhaust? And I'm like, nah, I just want to skip over that. But here at Kiefer Inc., we will tell you about that. So it's just loud. Maybe some of you guys don't really give a shit because you guys are going to put an aftermarket muffler on anyway, but it's just something I got. I wanted you guys to know about. Um, holding it wide open, it's, it's a loud muffler. It's not uh, the most quiet-sounding thing out there, and it doesn't sound the best out of all the 250s. So... Muffler sale sounds like crap to me. Brakes, front brake's excellent. Uh, 270 millimeter front brake up front. Very good. Linear, powerful. I like that feeling. I can drag it through the ruts. Excellent front brake. I have a problem with the rear brake being too grabby. Kawasaki went to a 250 mil rear brake just like they did on the 450. You guys out there, go back to a 240. Enjoy life at the 240 mark. 250 is too much. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to get more power, power, power. But with power, you need to have better modulation. You need to have a more linear feel. And simply put, that rear brake just doesn't have that. It's super touchy and grabby and really Fs up my corners sometimes because I try to touch the rear brake and it just locks the rear brake up, ends up sliding, and then I am missing, missing the rut. It's, it's frustrating because you think, hey, is my technique off? But no, I really paid attention to this and mark that down on my test notes. And then collectively as a unit, we talked about it at the end of the test, and they're like, yeah, I had a problem with the rear brake. I'm like, okay, so it just wasn't me. And those guys thought it was them too, but it's just simply too grabby. Yes, the older rear brake will fit, but you will need the, the hanger. So you can grab the disc and the hanger, and then it'll go back on, and I think it'll be less grabby. I am going to work on this. I'm going to try going back to see if it helps. I'll throw this information up on the website so you guys know. But simply put, you don't need a 250-millimeter disc. I feel like 240 has been fine for years. Never really had an issue with 
power for rear brakes. I've always gone up on the front brake or changed some things on the front brake, but I don't need that much power on the rear brake. Front brake is where most of your power is anyway. Anyway, if, Once you learn how to ride, I remember uh, a few guys that I, that I went riding with, they're like, hey, 70% of your braking is in the front brake. Just know that, guys. If you guys really want to charge into corners, use the front brake. Learn how to use it because it works awesome. Rear brake is just simply to kind of help your chassis calm down and get planted to slow it down. You can actually use your front brake more coming into corners than your rear brake because you should be off that thing anyway when you're rolling your corner. You shouldn't be on your rear brake dragging it through mid-corner. You should already be off of it and get your foot back on the foot peg. Ask Rhino. Rhino will tell you. So just know that. So I wanted to note that the brakes are good up front. The rear is a little bit grabby. So if you get this bike, you notice that. You can change that back up and uh, go back to a 240, and I think you'll be happier. Another thing I want to notice, it still has the engine coupler system. It starts off with a green coupler. Everything that I talked about in this podcast was with the green. We did change them out to the white, which is the lean, and the black, which is the rich. All of us agreed the white is the way to go if you want some extra pop, some snap, some bottom end. I thought it would hurt top end pull. Actually, didn't hurt top end pull, man. The white coupler, it was, what, 85 degrees, a little bit of humidity in the air. But honestly, when we first plugged the white coupler in, it popped a little bit. And I was like, oh, shit, it's going to be a little bit lean. But once I rode it, I didn't get any decel pop, so it was fine. But what I did get, it was a little bit more of a poppy feeling out of the corners, more pull out of the corner. It actually helped third gear recovery even more. So that gap I was explaining to you guys earlier in the show where it was kind of long, it helped close that up a little bit because I had a little bit more power once I got into third gear. So if I shifted a little earlier, it helped get into that meat of the power even more. So white coupler is very fun. I recommend that. You can try the green coupler, but if you went to the white, I wouldn't hate it because I feel like that bike runs better on the white coupler. We tried the black coupler, the coupler, and I was thinking, eh, it's not going to be that good. It was pretty damn good because when we tried it, it was about mm, 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the afternoon. Castillo Ranch gets hard packed. It made the bike feel heavier in a good way. Planted to the ground, better roll on, and just more connectivity to the rear wheel. I like this black coupler, so put that son of a bitch in your toolbox and if it gets hard pack at your track in the afternoon, throw that thing in there. It may not feel as exciting, but I almost guarantee you guys your lap times will be better because it'll be connected to the ground better. Like overall, honestly, I put that black coupler in and it helped the, the balance of the suspension a little bit. It kind of stuck to the ground more. And almost when we talked about the KYB suspension being active and lively, it almost slowed that sensation down for me because... There was so much rear wheel traction for me, and it made the bike stick to the ground better, which kind of slowed everything down. Everything goes hand-in-hand hand with dirt bikes, people. You change one thing, it changes another thing. You always try to find a setting that works good everywhere you go, and that is key into bringing some extra parts with you when you go riding. Don't just say, throw my bike in and my gear, and I'm going to be fine all day. A coupler could really help your day along to make it even better. So it's cool that Kawasaki has those easy plug-and-play pieces. Um, 
Yeah, people say, oh, no, they don't have the Yamaha tuner thing. Why don't they do that? They do have a Kawasaki calibration tool. It does cost you more money. It doesn't come free. It's not an app. I do feel like everyone eventually will have an app. But as far as making it easy for yourself, besides the Yamaha Power Tuner, or sorry, the Yamaha Power Tuner app, look, plug and play. It simply takes five seconds to do. It's not that big a deal, and you get a different sensation on the motorcycle. Bring that white and black coupler with you. Just throw it in your toolbox, and trust me, white coupler, sandy, loamy conditions, do it. Fun. Hard pack guys out there, West Coast dudes, black. It's good, too. We're going to work on some more of that next week over at Milestone because that place gets rock hard as well, and we'll get some more information out there to you. Look, uh, chain guy, chain sliders, not the best thing for Kawasaki. The 450s improved a lot. I don't think that the slider has changed on the 250. I will have to go back and look, but I think it's still the same. I'm going to see about the 10-hour mark how that thing looks. If it's eight up, I will get back to you guys and say, hey, they haven't changed that thing, and it's still you guys need to put like a TM design works on there, something that's going to last longer. So um, overall, guys, it's a better 2020 KX250. It's fairly easy to see right when you get on it. It's not one of those things that I had to really ride a, a 19 and 20 back-to-back, even though I will. But you can get on this, this new bike and immediately feel like, oh, yeah, they did some work here, and it's better. Is it uh, so much better that it's going to win? It's debatable for me. That doesn't mean other people might not think so. But for me and my riding style, I like more torque. Um, they didn't add any more bottom-end torque to this 2020. They gained it in mid to top. So for those of you guys that are aggressive, riding that mid-range to top end, you're really going to notice this thing, and it's going to be very, very fun to ride. I do want to do some cockpit changes of this thing. But overall, man, good job by Travis and Borky for doing this bike. I enjoy it. I like to learn the process that goes in behind making these bikes better. I did get to learn some things. And for me, hopefully you guys learned something off of this podcast as well. We try to bring something bigger than just the bike. Uh, we try to dive into some different things, different types of engineering with this machine. And uh, like I said, 2021 should be an exciting time for a lot of manufacturers with a lot of new things coming down the pipe. So um, good job, Kawasaki. They are available now at dealers near you. If you guys are looking to buy a Cowie, check out Power Motorsports. They work with me here on this podcast. They give out really, really good deals. So hit me up, Chris, at KeyFringTesting.com if you're looking to get a Kawasaki. And uh, I can get you probably the best deal anywhere in the North America region. So um, hit me up. I'll get you in contact with Power. They do ship bikes. Even if you don't live in Oregon, they do ship and uh, we'll get you a low price and get you the best pricing possible, trying to save you guys some money out there. So don't forget that. Interested in the Cowie, Power Motorsports, hit me up. I'll get you a contact. So, all right, well, that's basically the KX250 first impression. Not much else to talk about for the first day. We will dive into it more kind of before. I would, I would probably do another podcast before shootouts to kind of give you guys some updates and some settings. I'm working on trying to do what we call VIP setting shows here on Kiefering Testing where we take each bike from each manufacturer, dive into settings from all different types of riders, and we will give you clicker settings, sag settings, torque specs. We're going to try to give you all that in these shows so you can write these things down and guide you along in the better direction. So 
Husqvarna is already on board with this setting show. And hopefully I'm getting other manufacturers on board as well. And uh, that way we can just dive in and just give you every little nook and cranny of each bike um, for a setting for you for each type of riding that you do. So that's my goal here is to try to encompass a lot of different things. And I think we're, we're on our way to doing it. So um, this has been the Rocky Mountain ATVMC.com Kiefer Tested Podcast. Thank you guys to all of you for listening to the show. I know I get a lot of feedback. Met a lot of you guys in Colorado. I appreciate all the information. I even appreciate um, the suggestions that I've been getting on my email about what shows we should do. So uh, thank you guys for that. And of course, thank you guys for supporting these advertisers that are on this show. I would simply not have these advertisers on here if I thought they were pieces of shit. I would use every one of these advertisers' products and that's the only reason why they're on the show. Again, you guys know I'm not getting rich over here. I want to try to keep a transparent show, a transparent life to you guys, and try to keep more of that in the media testing world. So hopefully you guys are having fun with these podcasts. I'm having fun doing them. I'll be back probably in a couple days. 2020 KTM 450 SXF show will be up here pretty soon. But look, hey, an article up on PulpMX.com right now on the KX250. Look for another KX250 article that Dominic Chimino will write and break down the bike even further up on KeeferInkTesting.com as well as Michael Allen, since he is the YZ250F resident, he compares the 2020 KX250 with the Yamaha YZ250. He's going to write an article about that. So we're hitting every nail on the head over here, guys. Everywhere you look, KX250 info. You guys can't find enough information on the Kawasaki here. You're not going to find it anywhere, dude. Trust me. So check them out. KieferInkTesting.com, PulpMX.com, and of course, the Kiefer Inc. Tested Podcast. Thank you. Tell your friends. Subscribe. See you at the track. If you guys want to bullshit, let's come over and bullshit with me. Let's talk about your Cowie, Husky, KTM, whatever you got, sexual problems, whatever it is. I'll help you guys. So thank you guys for listening. I'll see you guys in a few days with another episode. See you later.